0: Welcome to the Training Ground Guru podcast in association with Huddle. I'm Josh Schneiderweiler, and for this episode, I've been speaking with Rangers first team coach, Michael Beal. He told me about how he plans and organizes Rangers training sessions, what it's like to work with Steven Gerrard, and how it felt to win the Scottish title for the first time in a decade. I am joined by Michael Beal. Mick, how are you doing? I'm really good, Josh. Great to catch up with you, mate. Yeah it's fantastic to speak with you. Last time we spoke together it was May of 2018 and at that time you were Liverpool's head of coaching for the foundation phase. You know now three years later and you're a first team coach at Rangers and a league champion. You know what was it like winning the title?
1: Obviously it was fantastic. It was fantastic not just for um for the staff and the players, but for, for everyone, for the fan base, because it's been 10 years since we won the league. Um, obviously, in that time, Rangers have dropped to the second division and worked their way back up. This is almost like the club uh, finding themselves again. And obviously, um, it was fantastic to win the league, no matter how you win it, but to win it unbeaten was obviously very unique. It leaves a legacy with these players, but I feel like we had a big responsibility to the wider rangers fan base and obviously it's a huge club with a massive fan base so we've seen the real outpouring of happiness for them people and in what's been a difficult year for everyone just in general i think it's it's a brilliant way for a brilliant moment for us to win it i would say so how did you end up celebrating Well, just the usual, mate. A few beers with family and friends, obviously, and obviously celebrating at the stadium. It was very difficult because obviously in the pandemic, it's hard for us as a club to have been able to do anything official. Uh, I'm sure that will come in in the future, but... You could see the great outpouring of the fans and in that moment, obviously we won the league in March and then we didn't get the trophy until May, like two months later. So there was a long pause in between the two. But in that time, obviously, you know, you see the outpouring from the people and the fans and and, and how happy they were. And that was the bit I was trying to take all that in, how much this means to other people and obviously was trying to encourage the players to take that in as well because ultimately that's what you play for isn't it for your fans and for your for your supporter base no matter what club you're at and uh, to see the happiness and the message you received off people you know and seeing young children celebrating with their their parents was magnificent Josh.
0: Was there like a moment that kind of stands out that you you know when you were taking it all in maybe a conversation with someone or a snapshot um, or a vision you had?
1: No, I I think there was lots of different things. I didn't, you know, even up until the last game when we won it against St Mirren, I was sort of like staying on job, if that makes sense, in terms of the next game, the next game. And then, you know, towards the last five or ten minutes of that game when we was winning 3-0 and we knew that, you know, that that was the moment where, although so it could draw a level on points with us, the goal difference was too big for them to catch up. Yeah, I sort of looked to my left and right and around me at the staff that I've been on the journey with and just had a little hug and a a high five with them. And that was a special moment for me personally.
0: You know, you talk about that journey that you went on with the staff. I want to go back to June of 2018, when you joined Steven Gerrard at Rangers, you know, how did you end up getting that job? Um,
1: Strange one really, like when I came back from Brazil, obviously I've been working there at Sao Paulo as assistant manager. When I came back and I was unsure what to do, I had one or two offers to maybe be a manager in the lower leagues and I was unsure. I took some really good advice off Alex Englepool, the academy manager at Liverpool and said, look, don't rush come back, work in the academy with the coaches that you know, mentor them, come back and be in our environment. And by the end of the season, something will come to you. You'll decide to stay in youth or you'll have an opportunity, but don't rush to make a decision after you've had this big experience in Brazil. So I did that. I came back, my family was settled, started working at Liverpool, was loving the job. It was like the job I used to do at Chelsea 10 years earlier. So it was a fantastic job to do, mentoring the coaches and working with the youngest players. And then at the end of the season, Stephen asked me to have a chat and he explained that he was coming to Rangers and he'd like me to come as a coach. And it was, it was a big surprise to me because I wouldn't say that we, we used to say hello to each other and was friendly, but we didn't have a relationship outside of that. So, you know, if you'd have said to me that Stephen Gerrard was going to ask you to go and work with him in his staff, in his first job, I would have thought you were, you, you, you were insane because we never had that sort of relationship. However, um, when we sat down and spoke, I was really excited about the opportunity to come and work alongside him. And yeah, it's been free. It's been a roller coaster ride for three years, some big bumps in the road, but in the main, it's been a, a fantastic experience, and uh, I'm very thankful to be here, mate, to be honest.
0: You said that you had some opportunities at some lower league clubs, but instead you you know decided to go back to to youth coaching. That's a choice that I would imagine a lot of people wouldn't have made. You know why did you decide to do that?
1: Well, I have to believe in the project. You know, when I was at Chelsea, it's about a journey to develop players and you believe in the project. I went to Liverpool. I believed in that project. And then when I went across to Brazil, I had great faith in in the project, but it wasn't the reality when I got there. Not because of the management team that I was working in, because of people up in the board. So when I came back, from Brazil I I wouldn't say I had to find myself again but I had a massive experience and I wanted to a lot of the thoughts I was having in Brazil was around youth development around the best players I'd worked with at Chelsea and Liverpool comparing them to the Brazilian players comparing the cultures and how they see the game and I had I was sending emails back to some some people that I'm very close to in England about youth development so I had all these ideas and you know, Alex gave me an opportunity to go back into a club that I love, to work with a staff that I have a real affinity for and, and help develop that, these ideas. That was much more interesting for me than going to be a League One manager. Um, unfortunately, one or two of the people that I sat in front of, I didn't feel that they knew where their club was going. And I think when you, you're a first-time manager and you take that opportunity to go in, you, you, everybody must uh, have a clear vision of where you're going. And I think that helps you. And that's why... You know, you look at Brentford going up this year into the Premier League. You have to be, uh, applaud them because they have a real one-club vision of where they're going. And so I support that sort of thing. And, and that's what academies have as well. And I felt that Liverpool is the best fit for me. I, you know, I, I remember t- saying to you previously that it was really hard to leave Liverpool in the first instance. It was a club that was close to my heart and the staff. And so I felt my journey wasn't finished there. So it was nice to go back. For me, it's all about what is exciting to get you out of bed in the morning. I'm not one for state or someone like a you versus yourself journey of like self-discovery to impress yourself and have different experiences in this game. So there's no ego around what level I work at or what club I work at. It's more the project and am I excited by it? And and I think that Liverpool's academy has a fantastic philosophy, and and I was a big part of that. And I wanted to go back and and share what I'd learned in South America. It was important to me.
0: So you get to Rangers with Steven Gerrard and. Gary McAllister, at that time, I think it's well-documented. You know, it was about seven years of not winning the league and, and the club wasn't you know, where it wanted to be. How did you try to change the culture or the atmosphere um, around the club when you got there?
1: And we tried to bring some real positivity. I think that's the most important thing as a staff. You can, you know, you, you, there's different times where there's challenges and you know it's going to be tough, but we come in with a huge respons- um, responsibility to the club in terms of implementing a model and a vision and real positivity around it. We knew, I think in the first interview, the manager said there'd be bumps on the road. We knew that because we were going in and there needed to be some changes in terms of standards and in terms of an identity in the way that you play. So we knew that we had to recruit. We knew we didn't have a lot of money to recruit. So we had to be clever with our recruitment, uh, with our loans and our free transfers, which doesn't always mean you're going to get it right. But in the main, when I look back at some of our recruitment, it's been very, very strong because it's been in line with our identity of how we wanted to play. And then you have to go on a journey. And of course you want to always get to the destination quicker. But I think in the main, we've done really well. The three European runs have been huge in terms of bringing finance into the club, of putting the club back on the map in Europe as well, because that, that also brings in players of interest and also sponsorship and everything else. So, and it sells your vision on a higher level. So the games against Porto and Feyenoord and Villarreal and, and uh, Benfica have really enhanced you know, the belief in our vision, both within, but also outside, which is important.
0: Now, you said that before you joined Rangers, you didn't really know Stephen Gerrard too much. You just kind of had a professional, you'd say hi and whatnot. You know, how would you describe him as a coach? Extremely
1: positive, really open. He really wants to have a relationship with his players, really open to ideas from his staff. He has general standards and so does Gary that are higher than a normal person just because they've been at that level for not just because, but they've been at that level for 15 to 20 years. So their general standards of what they expect is higher than the average. And so, but then um, I think he has a lot of patience. I think he has a lot of trust in his staff. He's a coach that likes to stand back and observe people and step in and speak when he thinks it's crucial to speak rather than wanting to speak all the time. And he gives me a lot of responsibility to coach the team along with the other coaches, Tom and Gary, on a daily basis. And he just wants to have that moment where he can step in and say something that's of real strong relevance to the group. So for me, like delegation in terms of leadership Um, someone that um, makes it a management team rather than about himself and someone that is willing to delegate to their staff it shows real strong leadership especially someone in their first job so I think he's very aware of what he is and what he wants to to be and I think in that he knows what he needs around him and he gives the staff a hell of a lot of uh, trust with trust becomes responsibility Josh as we know and you've got to do Mm -hmm. well but I think also like With him and Gary, what I think is fantastic, I've never seen them frustrated with the players. You know, like they were elite level world class players, both national team captains. I've never seen them be frustrated with the players for a technical fault. But they're massive on standards in terms of personal standards, in terms of players wanting players to take ownership of their career. So if you're a good professional, you'll have no problem with Stephen and Gary, you know, because that's what they want. They want people that are working towards their you versus yourself which is to get better every single day we believe in that if you if you manage the person if, so if you understand and manage the person that you can develop them as a player and that will improve the team and so that's how we work and, and if one person tries to do that on their own I think you get spread too thin because you have sort of 25 to 27 players in the squad so uh, our manager is put in a management team and we all have opportunities to go and work with players in different units to try to to improve them. And I think that's very, very smart management from Steven. And and I don't know, a lot of ex-players will come out of the game that maybe don't have that foresight in terms of how they want to build their management team. He's obviously clearly thought it out and he's recruited in the areas that he feels he needs help in. And I think that that's, um, I've got massive respect for him for doing that.
0: You know, you've worked with a lot of uh, amazing managers like Mourinho, Ancelotti, Klopp, Hitting and and others, you know, how does he compare to some of your experiences with them?
1: I think that what you find out of a lot of successful people is that communication is huge and clarity is huge. And um, I think they all have that. I think the top people will have that personality to inspire, to get under Mm -hmm. people's skin, to get them to believe in a vision. And I think Stephen has that. I think you know, like when the players obviously are coming to Rangers, they'll sit down with Stephen. And I think the big thing that we look to give a player is clarity, clarity on their role, clarity on areas we think that are strengths, clarity on areas we think we can help them improve, and clarity on how we play. And and every day, that's what training's about. Training's about providing clarity for the individual and in the group, and then improvement. And I think how you communicate that is really, really important. I think it's personal as well. I think it's different for each person. You know, There's this vision, there's this common cause that we're all buying into, but I think then you've got to sell it to each individual person in terms of their role within it. And that's why I think it's got to be a management team because – you know, every you have a squad of twenty five to get you through a season, but every three days you only pick eleven. So it's important you keep water in the grass and get around the group. And I think it's I think, you know, you made the point there about the different types of managers and how coaching's evolving, you know, the Champions League on the weekend there you had two coaches and I think they're academy or development coaches working at first team level and I honestly think that's what they are every day is a learning day every day that you're enhancing and selling your vision but you're enhancing and selling your vision for the individual to improve as well so uh, I think young players now are demanding that because young players have come through academy systems where there's been a lot of this development going on so I think the ability to inspire with personality is huge and then if you can add detail to it, fantastic. But the detail alone without that ability to inspire and communicate effectively, I'm not sure if you'd go far. And that's the one thing I would say about all of the coaches that I've seen, be Klopp, Rodgers, the, all the coaches that there were at Chelsea when I was a young, young coach coming through. It's that ability to inspire people with your personality and the vision. And, and Stephen has that. He's very calm in the big moments. He obviously has been... Hugely experienced in his career in, in terms of being a leader in a changing room, almost like the manager in the changing room in his time at Liverpool, I'm sure. And in the big, big moment, he's calm. You know, so in the, in the room at half time or when there's a big decision to be made, he's very calm. So having seen a lot of people, you know, I, I could tell quite quickly with Steve and some of the conversations we had in big moments with the group that he was different to, 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 to the normal person.
0: Can you give me an example of like one of those big moments where he was quite calm and collected and was able to really kind of communicate his message well?
1: I think like there's been, there's been numerous moments, but right at the start in the first season, obviously we played a huge game away at Uther in, in the qualifying for Europe, which was about, you know, uh, between a 10 and 15 million pound game. And in that game, we went down to nine players and how he summarized that game at the end was fantastic you know like walking into that change room, everyone was on such a high as, as you can imagine but he spoke about to the group about saying that happened seven days before around standards and I just thought wow like he must have had that in his mind that he was picking the right moment and it was such a fantastic thing and I won't share the exact words and the reason but he spoke about standards that he was unhappy with the week before and that you know, then things weren't going to be allowed if you were going to be in this special environment that we was in. And so I think that in that moment, he just showed a level of communication, of control of the group that I thought was very elite. You
0: know, we're talking about communication a lot. I, I, I saw a quote um, of yours um, recently that I thought was quite striking. I just wanted to read it out. Um, you said, my ideas have not changed from when I was a 23-year-old starting out at Chelsea to now being a 40-year-old. I can just articulate it to you a lot better. You know what I mean? And that's because people have pushed me in on the why. And, you know, I I guess my question is, you know, how have you tried to develop your communication skills? How do you uh, get better at that?
1: Well, there's been a lot of different experiences. Like I've obviously... I've been a, you know, a head of an under-23s team with a lot of talented players. And what I realised when I was taking that team was they needed me to be a life coach or a guide as much as they need me to be a football coach. Obviously, you train every day at 10, 30, 11, whatever time you choose in your club. And that's a guarantee. But it's how the players arrive to the session, what they're thinking about when they're going there in terms of the feeling towards their development, their pathway, and you and your staff and how you're helping them. So that was really, really crucial to me to make sure that I was um, that I was understanding people. So I did a lot of work on open questioning, a lot of work on you know how you understand people, and then there's a higher level than that is people from different cultures to you. So then going to Brazil was absolutely huge because I started to learn the second language and I started writing the session plan out, obviously in a, in a different language, and that was um, that was massive in terms of you know, just simplifying my messages. And that's it. I, ain't, I need to put across things in a way that are, that are so um, simple for the players to understand. I need them to get clarity very quickly. And that's what we work on every single day. And that's why I say that I had the same ideas when I was 23. But that back then I was a very excitable 23-year-old. And now I'm, um, I'm 40. I've got a few more grey hairs. I can articulate <laughs> that a lot easier.
0: I know that you lead a lot of the sessions at Rangers on the training pitch. Can you kind of break down how you plan a session, you know, what it looks like, what it sounds like, and kind of take us through that entire process?
1: Yeah, I think there's a few things when you're planning a session. There's player qualities to play in your style. So there's the qualities that players need to play in your style of football. And that will be different from different coaches. And then there's team qualities, whether that be the ability to keep possession, the ability to create, the ability to defend and keep clean sheets. So there's player qualities, team qualities, and there's the what ifs. What ifs are what if we're playing against a back four? What if we're playing against two strikers or one striker? What if we're playing against a back five? What if they're pressing us high? So you have to sort of cover the basis of player qualities, team qualities, what ifs. Then you go within that. So it looks different for a right back as it does for a left winger, for example. So then we like to work with unit coaches. And it's something that I've been working on since I was an under-23s coach at Liverpool, about different coaches oversee the development of different players. So the goalie coach, natural, has been happening for years. But could you have a coach for defending, coach for midfielders, coach for forwards? There's one of them coaches then also takes set plays. So every coach looking at five or six players. And then I think you can have your conversations before the sessions and the days leading up about someone's individual journey and what they're working on and how to get better in their role in the team. That then goes into the session. So everyone's working more smartly. So you've got this team theme, which might be playing out of the fence. But within that, Josh, every player has got their own little things they're working on towards their individual development. To manage that, because it sounds complex, you have to have like coaching lieutenant. So the manager sits above all of us. I plan maybe the team session content with liaising with everyone from Jordan, the sports scientist, to Tom, Scott, the analyst, to Gary, to Stephen. I'll get the rough template of the session and then we'll delegate who's leading where. But when the session's actually going on, Gary will be looking at the midfielders. I'll be looking more at the forwards. The manager's looking at the whole pie. Uh, Tom's looking at the defenders. And when the boys go for a drink, you might be popping into your individual players and talking to them. That then leads into your conversations off the pitch. It leads into your analysis of the games. It leads into match day. When you come in at half time, which players do you go and talk to? So it's almost like having coaching lieutenants. So we, all, we work on the, the style of Rangers every single day. So if you came to watch one session, you'd say, what's the theme? I'd just say Rangers. And you'd be like, yeah, but what are you working on? I'm re- working on Rangers. It's like, a, it's like a hybrid session of our identity. And it's about our players. That's why it's very unique. If you stayed with us a week, I think you'd get it. I think you'd be like, wow, you'd see who, how people have lunch with different players, breakfast with different players, how you know, they walk out to training and back in with different players. Everything's based on relationship and feeling. Everything because all the time you are, you're watering the grass or you're spinning the plates. You know, a lovely saying when I was a youth coach is that you're spinning the plates of the players and the, you don't want them to fall off. And that's what I call it watering the grass. You're getting around the group, you're talking to everyone, you're feeding into it. And then it's my job to put on a session that, I'd, that we'd want to play in as staff, that's mm-hmm. exciting to play in, that's varied, that's very specific to the players. And I would say that a good session has flow real flow it has a lot of ball rolling so the balls moving a lot and it has noise and it's not noise from the staff it's noise from the players because they're into the session so lovely saying from Steve highway when I was at Liverpool is like never foul um, to fire that competitive edge in a player straight away so we have lots of little competitions lots of little individual battles and stuff like that so you can see this is my passion that's why I've Took five minutes to answer this question because it's my passion, Josh, and there's a lot that goes into it. It's not me just picking a nice passing drill, a nice possession. Everything is specific from the way that you pick the teams to the sparring partners. So, who you play against each other. And from time to time, you might antagonize it and you might say, uh, you might throw out, uh, this team will win this game because this reason. Or we might play young v. old um, just to try and get a little bit of grit in the session. So, um, no, I love that time. That's when I come alive. At Eleven o'clock every day is when I come alive, and it's what I spend probably ninety-nine percent of my life thinking about how uh, to understand our group, understand the moment, and then plan practices that are enjoyable to play in but extremely relevant. So, clarity and improvement, mate. But if you're looking for free things, what do you need to play for Rangers? The player qualities. What? qualities do we want to implement as a team and then what are the what if moments and and just trying to get all that together
0: i get the sense when you're prepping for this one it takes a lot of time i mean how long does it take to like kind of write out this whole process because it seems like every player before the session you'll have written you know a number of things about what they need to improve what they need to work on and how they fit into each one of these sessions
1: No, I think like what you have is because you have lieutenants, they're looking at different things. So like naturally, like although I plan the team session with the manager and the other star, naturally I'll be looking towards the forwards. So I'll be thinking about what is Ryan Kentney, what is Jaribo, what is Giannis Hadji, what is Morelos and Roof and putting practice specific to them. So each of the lieutenants will look at their own players. And don't forget, this is not like we're not turning up today and having these relationships today. We're 169 games into it, so we've built. That's why recruiting and having the eye for exactly what you need and how a player is going to fit, it makes you move faster. So when you're recruiting, you recruit a player that you know is going to fit how you want to play. And he he already has the player qualities, for example. So when we talk about player qualities, the ability to... Outplay the first player to eliminate the first player. It's the ability to twist and turn. It's the ability to receive the ball on both sides. If we can tick a lot of them boxes, when you're in and you're planning, it's it's like having children. They're your children. You see them every day, so you don't have to constantly talk about what they need to improve because you're always. It's, it's a seamless process. So it's not that complex. In the morning, we get in probably about eight eight thirty. Uh, I won't have breakfast until I plan the session so I'll go and sit in the room like a nutty professor with my pad and pen and I'll write things out but it's a great office in the morning like we have some couches in there we're all in there we're all talking about different things that have happened in the football world and you're constantly coming up with ideas in that room some ideas seem crazy early in the season and are so valid at the end of the season because the goalposts move in football all the time so it's um no, but, in, in that, but before the session in the morning, it's a fantastic place I office because it's an ideas place. And I always think the level of con- conversation in a football club will find its way on the pitch. So if you're talking really positively about your players and you're talking about growth and development and because I think you've got to win and grow You know, because if you don't win and grow, then winning, I think, will have a shelf life. So we talk about winning, evolving, growing. And that's what our office is like every day. It's an ideas office. So if anything, we need to temper ourselves down because there's so much we want to put into each day
0: uh I'm, yeah like i'm I'm just imagining it sounds like a, almost like a think take or like a startup or like i'm just trying to build an image in my mind or like uh you, you mentioned that there are some sofas or like there are, is there anything else in the room i'm trying to like uh you know build an image for the the people listening yeah
1: there's like three sofas in front of like a tv so and then we'll have some boards up a couple of desks and yeah, like it's a place where we come, we have, we, we have cups of tea, we, we eat far too many biscuits, especially me and Gary McAllister. We're there in the afternoon eating biscuits every afternoon. Just talking about football, all sorts of football, like good stuff uh, that we've seen um, and we'll see things from all over. We'll talk about players, what we like and, and we'll talk about our own, we'll talk about the league. We probably talk a little bit too much, but what we do from that is we have a real bond and togetherness as a staff. I'm always fascinated about that, about football clubs. You know, when you work at a football club, it becomes like a band of brothers because you go every single day and then you'll move to another football club and then people that you were so close to because you're with every day, it's hard to keep in contact with because you're having that relationship now somewhere else. And for example, like the guys in, you know, the main five or six people at Rangers, we spend so much time together just talking about the game. We literally have like verbal diarrhea about football. But it's brilliant (laughs) because as I say like we're all really positive people and I think that's important that positivity because it's easy in a season to get negative and I think what we're really good at is zapping each other out of it you know a season is a long time you're gonna have some bumps in the road in Scotland the media obviously it's a frenzy because of the two big clubs all the time so even a small news is big news um so it's important you've got people around you that, that have that positive energy as well, because it's all about the next challenge, isn't it? It's not about what you've just won or how well you played yesterday. It's about what's happening today and tomorrow and onwards. And so therefore, having positive people is really
0: important. You know, something you mentioned earlier was about how important it was to have competitiveness, but it also sounded a little bit like you were kind of also hinting at like some playfulness. And it it sounds like you guys have a lot of fun in that room together. And, you know, Michael Caulfield, who's a consultant psychologist at Brentford mentioned in a, you know, article for TGG about how he learned about the importance of playfulness from, from you, actually. You know, how important is that ingredient to, you know, a coaching staff, to players, to, to everything?
1: It's massive. I'll go back to when I was a child. I would play for my school team, my county, my district, my Sunday grassroots team, and I'd play for a pro club. Like Charlton was the club I was at. So I'll be playing for like five different teams. And then I might get one or one and a half hours coaching a week that was structured. But I had a lot of play. I also lived on a council estate where there was lots of play, older kids, football all the time. You know, it was really, you know, just loving playing football 24-7. And now I look at kids in an academy and they get coached four times a week and they play once. And they might play 40 minutes or 60 minutes. So I probably had 90% playfulness, 10% structure. And I think it's the reverse now. I probably think it's like 95% structure and 5% play because children not playing out. Most schools are not even letting kids play in the playground anymore. It's just crazy. So I think you have to have that element of that. And I've always tried to keep that in my coaching as I've come through. The biggest connection for me with that was when I went across to Brazil and saw how playful they were. Obviously, the weather helps, but, you know, after training, playing the football or practicing and, and working on things. And so it really reaffirmed that for me that I was on the right track. And that's why when I said I came home from Brazil, why I wanted to go back into academy setting, because there were really strong reminders for me of, no, what you believe in this playfulness of taking no matter what age a player is back to when he was seven, eight, nine, ten and why he fell in love with the game is really, really important. And so for me, it's about a player's relationship with the ball first and then their relationship with the game and then the club. And then I think it's important to have people that can inspire that relationship. So show them things and but again, like I don't think we should get too far away from the player and the ball, the player and the game. And I think Practices are great, of course they are, but they're not better than the game. So, how can you make the game be the centerpiece of your coaching? And you can play all different types of games. And one of my favorite games to play is like a 2v2 box game, we call it. I've done it with six year olds and I've done it with first teams. And the Rangers first team is their favorite game. And I, I, I think that that's fantastic. You know, like you're talking to that seven, eight, nine year old. nothing whenever it's someone's job, it doesn't matter what job you do, you can love your job. But sometimes to do it every day at 10.30 or 11 when the, the it's raining or windy or you've had stuff going on in your life, it's not easy. So the, the, the training must be varied and the people that you see every day must, must force a feeling inside of you. Do you know what I mean? So it's a special environment you create in a football club. And I think uh, we've got to be careful that because you're a coach, you're not seen to be coaching all the time. You're a guide. So this playfulness and rehearsal is so, so important. I hate the saying, play, uh, train how you play. because That means you'll play how you played last week. You should train to improve. And improving means you must rehearse. You must be playful. You must make mistakes. But training ground should be a very safe place. Because if it's not, Josh, how are these kids going to evolve? If it's not a safe place to learn and try things. And like I said, where else for me to go and confirm that better than Brazil? and work with South American players who, when you look at the best players in the best teams around the world, they come from that part of the world. And it's all about maximal play. Them children there still have the the childhood I had, where they have more play and a little bit of structure. And just because we've built all these good academies, and listen, we're doing very well at the moment because we're bringing through really talented players in the UK. We just need to make sure that kids can play with the support of adults, rather than like fighting for playing time because the adult wants them to master a passing drill, it makes no sense to me.
0: I just want to go back before we continue on this playfulness, which is an absolutely great topic. To this drill that you mentioned was like the favorite um, of the the senior players at Rangers. This two v two box drill. Can you just kind of describe how it how it functions and operates? Yeah, it's just two t-
1: four mini goals, it's like uh, eighteen by fifteen yard area, two v two. Two coaches or goalkeeper between the goals. You can play back and forth. It's all about outplaying. It's street football. Can you take on the one opponent or use your mate's movement to score in one of the mini balls, mini goals? Ball goes out, players go out. And the next two come in for each team. It's the first team to 10. It's so competitive because people are getting up to the ball. There's lots of outplaying. You can outplay on your own. You can use someone's movement. You can play around the corner to play on the, off the target you can draw someone in and play backwards and the guy that's on the outside can play to the guy in between the two goals at the other end and you can run. I played this game first of all when I was at Chelsea and in that group would be like your Tammy Abrahams for KOs, Mason Mounts, Declan Rice's, Eddie Nikita's. We just, this was a pickup game that started when you turn up for training 20 minutes before, we just started with 2v2 and the coaches went between the two mini goals and then it just built up. As more players arrived, it'd be 3v3. As soon as it got to 4v4, it went to 2v2 on and off. And they loved it. And then I've just took it to every single team that I've been with. And it's just, it's back down to the elements of competition, skill, playground. It's what you're creating is like a 2v2 playground. We call it the box game because obviously it's in a small box area with four mini goals. But it's got everything. It's got trickery. It's got 1v1 defending. It's got out playing it's got combination play it's got passing and running if you're good at the 2v2 box game then you can play football
0: and it makes you want to come to training right like i guarantee you those players are looking forward if they're knowing that okay we're going to play the box today like oh, i can't wait to to show up um, yeah there's different
1: there's different variations of it so that's 2v2 plus 2 you can play 3v3 plus 2 4v4 plus 1 we've got loads of variations of it but it's the same thing ball goes out players go out new players coming in first to 10 it's high energy, get up to the ball, you need this lovely, and it's, it's about players, and that's the big thing, Josh, it's about players, you know, we'll see so much stuff that's about tactics, 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 tactics are you getting your best out of your players, and that's why it's unique, so yes, you can see an idea from another coach, but it will never be exactly the same in your club, because your players have a unique set of qualities. So for me, and this is where the youth development side or the development side of being a youth coach for many years helps me, it's all about getting the best out of the player to get into to the next level. I'm trying to do that at first team level. And I find it really exciting. And listen, I think when you get to first team level, the player has a status. So you jump up from a youth coach to first team level or a first team player drops down to a group and he's got a status. Don't worry about the status, just worry about the person. If you want to know what that person's coming, he's coming because he loves football, he wants to do something competitive, he wants to play the game, and he wants to do something that he loves to do. So if he's a striker, he wants to do a finishing, uh, some specific finishing, he still wants to play a game, and he still wants some competition. So I would en- encourage all young coaches to, to just understand why people play. And that might be a conversation, or it might just be a general thing that, you understand that when the kids get out of their mum and dad's car and they run to that pitch to play, if after 15 minutes they ain't got that enthusiasm, that is your fault as a coach. Your job is to enhance and, and encourage and develop further that love and that, um, that energy to play the game. And I think that's a sort of 15 minute warning for any coach at any level where you're planning your sessions of course sometimes you have got to work on some things that are not as fun might be defending but can you put a crop put it across in a way that all the players are enjoying it and that's it that's why i think that, that that that's that's my passion you know to develop practices and work with players on the pitch
0: you said earlier when you were talking about the champions league final which was this past weekend with thomas tuchel and pep guardiola that you know those guys those coaches are developers as as coaches and so do you see more like kind of youth team coaches joining the ranks of senior management at the first team level um like yourself i mean it's pretty rare that you know someone goes from you know foundation phase coach to you know first team coach yeah it's the
1: best journey though if you can do it if one day that i can uh, be a manager in my own right in the future then it's it's the best way because you've seen everything you know um You've seen how a player goes from one stage to the next. But yeah, I definitely think, I I think we need to remove the word youth from development. I Mm. think some of the, you know, if you can, if if you're someone who can inspire people and you can get your message across and you can make it very specific, I think you can work at any level. I think the players that have come through the academy system now have been used to that type of coaching, more development coaching, more guides And so they're looking for it at first team level. First team level should be seamless from the academy into the first team to allow the kid to be the best version of himself. And I think if you look at Tuchel and the work that he's done at Chelsea, encouraging and developing further the young players, you can see they're on a learning journey. If you see with Guardiola, the players that he helped bring through at Barcelona and then obviously now players like Phil Foden, it's seamless. I see the same with Jurgen Klopp at Liverpool as well. You know, the way that he managed the young players when they went up. And so that gives me a hell of a lot of confidence as a young coach that's from um, a development background that it is possible to go to the next the next stage. And and I think, um, yeah, in short, I think that is the way that football's going there because I think the players demand it. And whatever the players, de- you know, what the players demand or what the players want, happy players, happy team. I think happy changing room, happy players, happy team. I think... It's always about, that's why I love this you versus yourself mindset of like, who are you? What's your self-awareness of who you are and where you're going? And then how do you manage it every day? What's your daily rituals to improve? And then how does that fit in the team? And how do you manage relationships? Then four things I speak to players about every single day. And ultimately you attach that to the team, don't you? That lovely identity this player's got. Can it enhance the team? The team is the vehicle. So, because we're in a team sport and, I'm like that in my own career. It's about impressing myself or having experiences that I want to fulfil me. It's not about anybody outside. So it brings it back again to that young boy trying to be a professional football player. And I think that the best coaches in the world have that ability to to keep people on that you versus yourself journey. And also they sell a vision that's exciting. Two shells completely different to Uh, in terms of the way they they play, but they both play in a really exciting way. I think Tuchel deserves real um, praise because his Paris Saint-Germain team of last year that got to the Champions League final was a fantastic one, but it's completely different to his Chelsea team, which I think that shows you the real art of coaching, that you go into an environment and you implement what's best for the group and the players rather than having a set way. The leader for that for me is Carlo Ancelotti. He's been doing that for the last 20 years to great success.
0: Now, you also mentioned in a tweet kind of after the Champions League final that one of the reasons that German coaches are on top at the moment um, is because they're getting more chances. You know, do you think that English coaches are getting enough opportunities right now at the first team level?
1: Yeah, I probably didn't mean it like that. What I meant is that in Germany, they are investing in their own the coach education programme and they're willing to give their B team coaches a first team manager's job. Stuart Weber's done that with obviously Wagner and then Farker at Norwich as well. And I applaud him for giving young coaches an opportunity. It's not so much me moaning about the opportunity that English coaches have. But what I think for English coaches, the league in, in England is the World League. It's not the English League. The Championship down is the English League. The Premier League is the World's League. And if you want to work in the World's League, then there's a lot of things that you, there are hints for you. So if you look at our top managers this weekend, Tuchel and Guardiola both did their interviews in English. I'm sure then Tuchel went off and did an interview with German TV in German and maybe a French one as well. And the same with Guardiola. So they're really high-skilled people, not just football coaches. So I think with English coaches, We can't be standing outside looking in moaning about opportunities if we don't upskill ourselves. So that's a challenge to us as English coaches. And then what I do think is just like young English players in the last five or six years who are given opportunities, they rarely foul their clubs. So whether that be Mason Mount or Reese James, whether that's Rashford or Greenwood, whether that's Phil Foden, I don't see too many English young players being given opportunities who foul. And then I'm starting to look at English coaches. So, I'll just talk about the coaches that I worked with at Liverpool Academy. This weekend, I've watched the Championship playoff final with Mike Marsh and Steve Cooper, that were both in the academy at Liverpool at Swansea, who have been given an opportunity and in two years have implemented a lovely playing style around young players and have probably overachieved, getting to the playoffs twice. And then Neil Critchley and Mike Garrity, who I worked with both again at Liverpool, go into Blackpool in the first year of management break some club uh, club records at Blackpool in terms of wins in a season and points tally in the last five or six years. And they get promoted as well. So there's a, when I'm looking at it, I'm seeing when coaches are being given an opportunity in a club that's got a vision, we are seeing that they're able to be really high skilled, just like we are with our young players. Now, what we do in England is we give opportunities to coaches from other countries all the time. What I'm saying to, to, to my fellow English coaches, we need to upskill. And that's one of the reasons why I chose to go and work abroad to learn a second language and why I keep working with languages. Because I think you're going to end up in a multinational changing room, very diverse changing room. So you have to understand cultures. You have to understand people. You need to be able to communicate with them in their language um, in a way that comes across to them. So all I'm trying to do is upskill myself to be the best coach I can. Um, Where that takes me, who knows, Josh, you know, at the moment I'm in a fantastic place where I'm very happy. I wouldn't want to be anywhere else, but you still have to keep upskilling yourself. And I like to think that the, just like the English young players are taking Europe a little bit by storm, that the next wave for me will be English coaches. I would like to see more English coaches go overseas to, to coach because I think that would be beautiful. Like Jalen Sancho and some of the players that have gone over to Germany and done well and to Holland and done well. I would love to see our coaches go and do that. And that's why Bobby uh, Robson and Terry Venables were my idols. So I've been very strong on that. So this is not saying I just made up. When I was 20, they were my idols because they were out. They'd coach Barcelona, English coach, coaching Barcelona, speaking a second language. Amazing, amazing.
0: Yeah, well, I know, you know, Liam Manning, who used to be the uh, assistant academy manager at West Ham, just went to go coach in Belgium. Um, you know, so yeah, maybe, maybe we will see that. You, you said you don't know what the future holds for you, you know, but do you, you know, one day in the future want to be the head coach? Or um, is, is that necessarily not a, a dream of yours?
1: It's 100% the aim. I don't have a timeline, um, because I'm very happy. I feel um, under Stephen like I'm a head coach anyway because he gives me so much um, I feel like with the staff the main staff around him we all coach the team he gives you that that feeling every single day so I don't feel the need or the urge to rush off and be a manager I also I've got lots of aims one of them is definitely to be a manager and to be a manager in the UK but I to be a manager overseas because that's, that's, that was my dream and so I still have that dream But I'll go back to youth again one day because I think to have the experience that I've had over 20 years, at some stage I want to go back and try and implement that within the academy. I've seen some fantastic youth developers from, you know, the clubs that I've worked at and and I want to go and put that energy back. So I've got so, I feel like I'm like 5% into my career, Josh, you know what I mean? I feel like it's only really started the last two or three years, but 100%. I'd want to be a manager one day, but I've got a very unique idea of where I want to be a manager. I don't just want to be a manager in the football league. I want to be a manager in, I want to be a manager in within Europe and in different countries as well, because I'm just exploring and learning with this game,
0: you know? Thank you so much uh, for taking the time, uh, Micah. I really appreciate it.
1: Brilliant. Thanks, Josh.
0: Thank you for listening to the Training Ground Guru podcast in association with Huddle. We'll be back in a few weeks with another episode. In the meantime, you can follow our latest updates on the website and on Twitter, at ground underscore guru.